0: Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Hello, I need an extra pair of hands because now I'm old. I have glasses because if I don't wear those, I can't see. And. Uh, too many accessories. Does anyone else like, you know, you're hitting towards middle age and you just feel like there's too much maintenance involved in getting old. <laughs> I'm plucking things, I'm bleaching things, I'm replacing things, I'm looking for things. It's busy just being alive. Okay, I'm going to pray because that steadies me and uh, it's always good to honour God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for oh God, I just thank you for this amazing community. It's community doesn't even come close it's a family and such a beautiful representation of the, your heart to see people of every age and background to hear gathered together honoring your name enjoying one another and enjoying you and so father i counted a privilege to be able to spend some time with this amazing church tonight and i pray holy spirit that i know you've already gone ahead of me and prepared the way and i know that you will do what only you can do and uh, I'm going to do my best to get out of the way and just be an ambassador of what you've done in my own life. Amen. I do want to just say thank you to Pastor Shane and Rachel for trusting me with this opportunity. I haven't even met Pastor Rachel yet, so <laughs> so looking forward to that. But um, I, it's wonderful for me because there's so many familiar faces, so it really does feel like family. And uh, I know some of you are familiar with parts of my story that I'm going to share, but um. Just um, moving, extending on from what Robin said, I run um, an online platform for women called the Shears Project because God really uh, spoke to me very clearly about the value of people's stories. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, the writer of that revelation says that the enemy of our hearts was overcome by two things he was overcome by the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross and by the word of the testimony of the saints. And so I think sometimes we neglect to honour the story that God's writing in our own life. We feel like, oh, I don't know whether that's such a big deal, whether I should tell anyone about that. But God spoke to me so clearly about the fact that there are people in your world right now who need to hear about him the way that you talk about him. There are some people who will only encounter God the way you talk about God. They're waiting for your version, for your perspective, for your experience. We can't be counting on other people. We need to actually own and steward and honor what God's doing in our life. And it's amazing the impact that comes through the sharing of stories. And so um, Kim actually asked me when she invited me to speak here tonight to share a little bit of my story. And so I hope that it encourages you. Encouragement's become like my thing. It's, you know, sometimes we get a word for the year. Some people, does anyone else do that? Anyone, other Instagram social media people, you feel like you're peer pressured into coming up with a word or a theme. (laughs) Well, encouragement is one of mine and I have been so blessed by the encouragement of other people and one area where it's really been demonstrated in a pretty practical way is in one of my hobbies, which is not eating or drinking or talking, but another hobby, which is running, and I'm not that good at it, but I do really enjoy it. And I mostly because I do it with other people. So just before I hit my midlife crisis about 12 years ago, I, um, I took up running and it was the first time I'd ever run other than being chased. And I was now running by choice, but the incentive was to run with other people. And so we never run faster than we can talk. So if you wanna join us, it's, it's not a cracking pace. It's, it's a social pace. But um, to keep us motivated and focused, we occasionally enter events. And I won't say we compete, because that would suggest that we have a chance of winning. We don't. But we like to participate, and because that, particularly for me, I need that external motivation. But one of the w- ways that I've really seen encouragement outworked in, uh, in running events is when you do particularly long-distance events. So my, my dear friend, Michelle, who's actually here today, <laughs> Um, A little while ago, she and I did a marathon, now that's a long way, It's 42.2 kilometres and the .2 kilometres does matter, especially when you're Michelle because she always thinks we finish just a little bit earlier than we really have, so she starts sprinting, I'm like, no, save something for the end. But on this particular event, um, you know, it's a long time that you're running for, it's a long distance. All over the Gold Coast, there are random strangers sitting in their driveway with boom boxes, sitting on street corners. They have chairs and snacks. They sit there for four to six hours for the sole purpose of encouraging you. And when you've been running 30 or 35 kilometers and some random stranger waves a sign that says, you can do it, don't listen to your legs, it will be worth it, or go random stranger, go. You do. You're like, oh, well, for me, it's a little bit of performance anxiety. Oh, someone's watching me. I must keep running. (laughs) But also the fact that somebody's taken the time to just speak a word of encouragement. They have snacks that they hand out to you. Michelle almost took out an old lady who had red snakes, and I'm not lying. Um, (laughs) Because when you are in a demanding and challenging experience... There is something so powerful about having somebody else come alongside you and say, you can do this, don't give up, you're almost there. The finish is closer than you think. And so I have made it part of my life's mission to be that person, to share out of the journey of our family's experience with some pretty challenging things, to come alongside other people and say, don't give up. The finish line is closer than you think and you're running better than you realise. And this was never more clearly outlined to me and experienced about 12 years ago when our family were living in Hong Kong. Gary and I had been married about, oh, well, I guess maybe sort of almost a long time. Yeah, 10 or 11 years. <laughs> and uh, we had had a fairly uh, roller coaster ride in those first 10 years of our marriage. Not because he's not awesome, because he is. Um, And not because I'm not awesome, because I am, but, you know, two awesome people together doesn't always equal magic. (laughs) But our journey was complicated by the fact that two years into our marriage, Gary was diagnosed with cancer. I was 23 years old, he was 28. And so that turned our world upside down. And we survived that, still in love with each other, still focused on God and, you know, a few lessons learned along the way. But one of the great challenges of that particular experience was the fact that we were told we would never have children as a result of Gary's treatment. And so we then jumped off the cancer roller coaster onto the infertility roller coaster. And I know I'm not the only person here who's been on that particular fun ride, and it's nothing like fun. It's incredibly emotionally and physically demanding, financially taxing, and uh, feels quite overwhelming for much of that time. And so by the time we got to Hong Kong 2004, I think there's a picture, aren't we cute? We had navigated some pretty hairy experiences, but now we're blessed with two children. Gary's got the dream job that he thought he would never get after his cancer diagnosis. We're living in Hong Kong. He's working for a commercial airline. I'm loving being a mum. I'm the oldest of five children, so all I ever wanted to do was be a mother. And so I was really enjoying this season of our life. We had a golden retriever. We could have sold toothpaste. Like, we were the poster family of middle-class contentment. If it was Instagram era, which it wasn't, you would have been jealous of our social media feed. (laughs) Because we were just living the dream. And I thought, you know what, we have ticked the boxes of hardship and challenge. This is our time to sail off into the sunset of contentment and peace and awesomeness. Two weeks before our beautiful little boy's sixth birthday, he becomes a little unwell. And uh, I'm the opposite of a helicopter parent. (laughs) So I didn't really get particularly alerted in the first 24 hours. It's like, it's a cold, it's a flu, it's something, you know, the kid's constantly in the dirt. Who knows what's going on? But by the second day, he was really unwell, and so even I decided he should go to the doctors. Well, in the course of the next 24 hours, the doctor did some tests, the doctor called us back, and the doctor sent us to see a specialist. At no point was I anxious. I thought, you know, he's a kid, kids get sick all the time. We live in Hong Kong, for goodness sake. The place is amazing, but it doesn't have the highest hygiene standards. So they, I thought, had great immune systems. And uh, we got the instruction that we needed to go to that specialist immediately. I'm still not worried. We live on one island in Hong Kong, the hospital is on another island. We get on a bus to get on a ferry, to get on a taxi, to get to a hospital and uh, by the time we got to that hospital our little boy who's 2 weeks short of his 6-year-old of his 6th birthday starts throwing up and he starts throwing up blood by the time we get in the elevator and the doors open to level 5 to Dr. Chan's office i see that above the doors are the words children's cancer ward that was the first clue that he didn't have a virus that was our first introduction to the fact that This wasn't going to be a 24-hour thing with a pill and a pat on the head and a bit of Panadol. And so as we entered the children's cancer ward, life as we knew it changed forever as our little boy just started to deteriorate before our eyes. He was vomiting continuously, the nurses took him away, they hooked him up to all manner of equipment and eventually we got to see the specialist who was a beautiful man, But in that moment, I was overwhelmed, and he chose to introduce our future to us by saying to us, have you ever heard of leukaemia? Yes, we have. That was how we found out that Jacob had leukaemia. Within the next 24 hours, we found out that he would be on chemotherapy for a minimum of two years, that he would have countless surgeries and radiation therapy on his brain and that we would spend the next six to eight months almost continuously in that Hong Kong hospital, 10,000 miles away from our friends and family in Australia, in isolation, the only English-speaking family amongst a hospital full of Chinese-speaking families. So needless to say, that first night was a bit of a shocker. Not my finest hour as a Christian or a human being, I'm just saying. Gary had to go back to our home and collect our 3-year-old daughter who was playing at a friend's house and let people know that no we wouldn't come be coming for dinner and talk to his work and say no I won't be able to take that flight Gary's an airline captain and we slowly and in a very overwhelmed sense tried to make sense of what was going on and so that first night in hospital Jacob just got worse and worse his condition was so advanced and aggressive they believed he'd only been sick for a matter of four or five days and when he we got to the hospital his organs the major organs in his body were starting to shut down and so they needed to stabilize him so that they could then begin treatment and I will never forget the moment of well, it was longer than a moment, let's be honest. The hours that I stomped around that isolation room in that hospital on that first night, there were some massive cultural gaps that we had to try and overcome. The Chinese approach to healthcare, particularly at that point in time, is vastly different to what you may imagine or have experienced in Australia. There is a very clear hierarchy and the parents are at the bottom of that hierarchy. So the fact that I was a tall, bossy and opinionated westerner did not get me off on the right foot with everybody basically (laughs) and i was throwing all sorts of little internal tantrums and some external tantrums in the uh, solitude of the isolation room where my little boy looked like he was just disappearing in front of my eyes and it's about three o'clock in the morning it always happens then right it's either in the shower or three o'clock in the morning when you have the really great revelations from god or good conversations with your friends not in the shower <laughs> they happen at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> this is what Robin was talking. It's the unintentional funny. <laughs> it's never intentional. <laughs> but as I uh, just tried to process what was going on, I didn't pray a warrior prayer. I didn't pray an articulate, beautiful prayer from the Psalms. I prayed a desperate prayer. God, help me. I can't do this without you. That was basically it. And in the fog and the haze of my own tears and my own emotion, I picked up a Bible, believe it or not, in a Hong Kong public teaching hospital, there was a Gideon's Bible in the bedside cabinet. Go the Gideons, hey? And I picked up that Bible and a phrase came to my mind and I still don't know where or if I'd ever heard this phrase before, but it's this. I know whom I have believed. And almost effortlessly, so I'm guessing it was the Holy Spirit, nothing to do with me, I opened up the Bible and the page fell to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and this is what it says. Even though I suffer these things, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. In that moment that verse changed everything for me because I took my eyes off my circumstance and my pain and my confusion and for just a moment I lifted them up and I looked at God and I didn't have the benefit of the passion translation 12 years ago it didn't exist but what it says now is in that scripture it it actually uses this phrase it says because I know that what I have given to him is safe and secure in his hands. I needed that promise so badly because everything in front of me was beyond my control and made absolutely no sense. And so my first word of encouragement to you, because I know in a room this size that more than a few of us are facing battles of our own, facing down a giant or two. That when you find yourself in a marathon of emotional, spiritual journey that is overwhelming and threatens to take you out, that the first thing we need to do is to focus on what God says, not on what we see. Because everything I saw spelled disaster. The doctors used that word. I don't know that they teach that at medical school. So when a doctor says, this is disastrous, yeah, wow, thank you. <laughs> Maybe that was a translation issue, I'm not sure. <laughs> Sadly not. Jacob's test continued to come back over the course of the next couple of days with the worst possible results. We didn't get good news for a long time, but I had that verse, and that verse became the anchor of that journey that t- took two years and five days to finish and what that verse did is that it reminded me, it started to like slowly unlock the treasure chest of God's truth that had been stored up in my life over years and years and years God reminded me, you know what, I know it's awful but you have done this before you have faced down cancer before and you're going to face it again and I'm going to do it for you, I'm going to go with you because you can trust me to keep what i you've placed in my hands safe and secure but you know it didn't look like that for a really long time because our poor little boy just got sicker and sicker but I started slowly but surely to open up God's Word and to read scriptures with fresh eyes and fresh perspective and a fresh energy and focus Ones like this you might be familiar with Romans chapter 8 where it says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Death can't. You know when you're facing something terminal or death-like in nature, to have that scripture is incredibly powerful. And I knew in that moment that no matter what happens, nothing could separate me or my little boy or our family from the love of God because God's love is bigger than death. We sang about it tonight. The angels can't, the demons can't, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away for whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Psalm 23 says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I walk through the valley I don't stay in the valley I don't camp in the valley I don't invite friends for a party in the valley I don't set up a YouTube account in the valley I keep walking through the valley because your rod and your staff comfort me and so we determined that we would keep walking And some days that's all you're going to do. You're just going to get up and you're going to put one foot in front of the other and you're not going to go anywhere else, but you've taken one step. And you're just going to keep walking. Because what God does is He reminds us through His promises that His perspective is greater than what we can see and understand. He stands outside of time, He stands outside of space. He created those things. The Bible tells us they have to submit to him. So when God speaks a word of encouragement and hope and healing and comfort and peace, we have to believe that he knows what he's talking about, even if our circumstances scream the absolute opposite because we focus on what God says, not just on what we see. As our family looked into the face of cancer for a second time, there was very little I could bring into that fight my head was awash with statistics and prognosis and diagnosis and templates of treatment pro- protocols and just things that I, I couldn't even really get a grasp of. And I felt like, you know, the little shepherd boy David in the story where he faces off Goliath. There's a massive giant staring him down and the professional soldiers cannot take on that fight. But David, David's up for the challenge. And what I took away from that story of David facing off with, of, with Goliath was not the slingshot, because <laughs> I would have been hopeless at that. But the words that David said in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, you come to me with a spear, you come to me with a javelin. In other words, you come to me with the typical and expected weapons for this sort of situation. But I'm not coming to you with those weapons. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Because God is bigger than even Goliath. And so whatever your giant is right now, can I encourage you, fix your eyes on what God says about who you are and his plan for you, not just on the details of your circumstances. Now, I would like to say that I just grasped that approach effortlessly and I sailed through the next two years and five days I didn't this was an ongoing journey for me and it was actually our little six-year-old son who gave me one of the most powerful demonstrations of what it means to trust in the name of the Lord see one of Jacob's treatments was cranial radiation which meant that he had to have radiation on his brain And so to do that, they made a mask that fitted the exact contours of his face. And it was made out of a mouldable material that then then becomes solid. And it had lots and lots of little holes. I don't know whether there's... You can see the very grainy photograph. You weren't allowed to have cameras in the Hong Kong hospital, so that was a sneaky snap from me. Um, (laughs) He was six and a half when this happened. He was emaciated... He was exhausted. He'd already had six months of chemotherapy. He had no hair. He couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair. And uh, we had to go and face this fun giant called cranial radiation. And uh, it was an unmitigated disaster, let's just say. There was crying and screaming and foot stamping, and that was me. Because Jacob screamed like someone was amputating his leg when they put that mask on his face. And I get it, because he's left in a room on his own with this gigantic machine maneuvering around him in the dark, and he has to lie perfectly still. And even for a a sick six-year-old, that is a challenge, because if he did move, they had to start again because they need to have things aligned perfectly. And so after day one, I remember calling Gary and just saying, I just don't don't even know what we're going to do. Like, he has to have this, but this, we're going to have to tranquilise him or something. It's just awful. And so we chatted about it, and Gary came, and um, we were in the hospital together, because, you know, we had another child. Gary had a job. We didn't get to spend too much time together. (laughs) So we played tag team a lot of the time, but we sat down with Jacob and we explained to him that this is something that has to happen. And then we prayed with him, and again, no fancy prayers. Like, I'm sorry to burst any spiritual bubbles that you might have, but I am the opposite of a fancy prayer. I am a desperate, uncomplicated prayer. And so when it came to that situation, we said, Dear God, please help Jacob not to be scared. Amen. And... I'll be honest, I held little hope at that point. So it wasn't even a great faith prayer. I hadn't conjured up much faith. It was just, righto, we've run out of options, let's pray. Just being honest, I'm probably not the only person that's ever done that before. <laughs> the next day, I take Jacob down in his wheelchair to the radiation unit and he is uh, you know, chatting to me. The lift opens, we go into the waiting room, which is filled with people who look like they're, you know, just basically waiting to die. He's the only child. It's so depressing. He gets out of the wheelchair, walks over to the rack where they're holding those masks, pulls down his mask and goes to try and get himself on the the metal bed. And I'm like, what the heck, okay? Don't ruin it. Don't speak. So I'm like, yeah, this is what we always do. Okay, backing away quietly, shut the door. I may have been crossing fingers and toes as well as praying, of course. And lo and behold, the next 11 radiation sessions, he didn't make a single peep. At the very end, he went and asked the radiation technician if he would be able to take the mask home with him because he wanted to spray paint it black so he could be like Darth Vader so I'm just you know going oh man what's going on here and it was it took me a couple of weeks to actually ask him what had happened because I was afraid I was going to wreck something by talking about it and uh, so I'm spiritual and superstitious and (laughs) Jacob said to me so uncomplicated as only six-year-olds are he said oh yeah the first time I did it I started screaming because I couldn't breathe and it was dark and I felt really scared But the next day, I came back, and I didn't scream. I'm like, yeah. How come? Well, I just said to Jesus, I can't do this by myself. Will you help me? And then I felt like he was there, and so I wasn't scared anymore. That experience has come back to me time after time after time because a little six-year-old facing off the greatest battle of his life had a revelation about the reality of god that i still wrestle with sometimes i knew what it was to speak faith i knew what it was to sing worship songs i knew what it was to plaster scriptures all over the wall of his isolation room i knew what it was to speak positive words of confession to people that asked how's jacob going i knew all of those those things but in my heart i hadn't really surrendered to the truth i knew the truth I hadn't really surrendered to the truth until Jacob showed me that it really was not that complicated. Trusting God means trusting God, not trusting in myself and then maybe letting God in at the end. And so I realised what I had done and I'm, I guess I'm speaking to some of you who may have gone through a hard time and you have a great relationship with God but you've faced some really difficult things that what you can tend to do, what I did, is that I built a fortress of faith that was so strong that I'd actually locked God out of it. I knew all of the right things to say and do, but I pushed God out of the experience because I didn't really trust him. I trusted in my ability to follow the rules of confessing and praying and believing and confessing and meditating. And it wasn't until I had another crisis moment. There were quite a few on this journey. Jacob was so sick, he went into septic shock. For any medical people, you know what that is. It's awful. And his body basically was starting to shut down again. And so it was, you know, like ER situation. stat. you know, everything's happening. I'm freaking out and overwhelmed. And not, you know, it was very difficult. And after that situation was resolved and Jacob was now, you know, hooked up to things and sleeping a little bit more peacefully and the situation was calming down and I'm exhausted and I'm still in this stinking room in Hong Kong and nobody's talking to me and there's no, we didn't have smartphones back then and there was only two channels on the TV and they were in Chinese. So I was bored <laughs> and tired and lonely and frustrated and I wanted it to be over. And nobody was bringing us cool balloons or doing anything fun. It was, just a dr- it was just a grind. And I remember sitting in the bed looking at Jacob and just going to guide, I can't do this anymore. I, like, I know I've said I'm out multiple times, but I really, really mean it this time. And in fact, I don't even think you're real. So there. ironically you don't talk to someone who's not real unless you're going crazy so i was either crazy or i did believe in god fortunately god in those moments just chooses to stay silent (laughs) until you you know you come to terms with your own stupidity and then it's like oh okay maybe i do believe in you but i'm just so tired i just can't do this and i stayed quiet for just a minute and then i sensed the spirit of god speak to me so clearly and this is what he said Linda, I love you and I never planned for you to do any of this on your own. I've seen your courage, I've heard your confessions of faith, I've watched your great intentions and your religious observances but all I've ever wanted is your heart. Still makes me Emotional today because the place that we despise so much if we're a compulsive perfectionist overachieving Christian like I can tend to be at times is that place of weakness and vulnerability and submission and surrender. It's the one place we will do everything to avoid and it's the only place where we actually will experience the fullness of what God wants to give us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, written by the Apostle Paul, who was no stranger to hardship and persecution. He said, My strength comes into its own in your weakness. That's God speaking. And once the Apostle Paul heard about that, he was glad to let it happen. Now I take limitations in stride with good cheer, I'm not quite there yet. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks, I let Christ take over. And so the weaker I am, the stronger I become through Christ. I realized that God was not removed from my pain. He was in my pain. The greater my weakness, the greater his strength. The worse I felt, the harder God was fighting. Jacob, with his childlike faith, had simply stepped into an acceptance and a surrender that I had yet to experience. I'd acknowledged the truth about who God is and what he, the plans he has and the promises of his word, but I had not surrendered to them. In the midst of a hard time, it's so easy to turn away from God, to shake our fist up at the sky and say, you don't know how much this hurts. You don't know what it's like to feel pain like this, to suffer like this. But You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he demolished every argument about not knowing what it is to be in pain and to suffer. He took on the weakness of our humanity so that in the worst moment, the most painful, hurtful moments of our life, that he can come alongside us and say, Me too. Me too. I feel your pain. I'll ask the band to come up and I apologise, not a surprise, but I've gone three minutes over already. But I'm just going to (laughs) close. I said one of my hobbies is talking, I wasn't kidding. Um, I just want to close with this one little story and then pray for you. Uh, Another moment of watching my little boy sleep after one of his treatments, and he was so unwell, but he was so peaceful as he slept. And as I looked at his little face, I had for a moment just a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to look down upon his own son, who he sent to take on the pain and the weakness and the suffering of our lives so that we could experience freedom and healing forever realised that God felt my pain and as I looked at Jacob that scripture from um, Zephaniah came into my mind it's really important that we read our Bibles even when we don't want to because you just never ever know when the promises and the verses are going to come to your memory and they are going to chart the course of your life, they are going to bring you comfort and strength and it was Again, I don't know when I'd read it, but it's that scripture that says, the Lord our God is mighty to save. He rejoices over you with singing. And I just had the most beautiful picture of God looking at Jacob and singing him back to life. And God said to me, I know you can't believe this, but I love him more than you do. There's not a single moment of pain or suffering that he experiences that my heart doesn't break will you trust me you know in that moment i had to loosen my grip on an outcome and i had to tighten my grip on god because you know our journey didn't go the way we wanted it to there was no instant miraculous healing it was years and years and jacob's journey continues today We still go to the hospital. We still see specialists. We still navigate things that we would really not have wished to navigate. He's 19 years old and he's awesome. But his journey's not over and neither is ours. But I refuse to hold God hostage to an outcome. I'm not going to waste my time holding him to a particular result when what I want to do is hold him and let him hold to me. Because my relationship with him is far more important than me getting what I think I want, when I think I want it, in the way I think it should come. And maybe that doesn't sit well with everyone all the time, but I want you to know that God... Jesus is the prize. He's the prize. No matter what you face no matter what you go through, he is, the book of Hebrews tells us, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's on him that our faith depends from start to finish. And the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says that we're to keep our eyes fixed on him, to run the race with endurance, knowing that he is standing there, championing us, encouraging us, comforting us, bringing us into freedom and wholeness and so as I close I just would love the opportunity to pray for you and perhaps um, you've come here and a friend has invited you and you don't know what it is to have a relationship with God well I would love to pray with you and lead you into that relationship or perhaps you're here and you're going through a really let's just say it a really crappy season and you need to know the presence of God in that circumstance and that challenge i want to pray with you as well so with every head bowed and every eye closed let me first extend an invitation to you if you have not started a relationship with god you've thought about it you've danced around the edges but you know in your heart that you and he aren't really walking together then i'd love to just pray with you and in, and lead you into that relationship so just raise your hand if that's you tonight And I can pray with you. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Are there others tonight? Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I see hands going up here and it's so encouraging because God is waiting to walk out this journey with you. So for those people that raise their hand right now, we're all going to join together as a family of God and we're going to pray a prayer that commits our lives into God's hands. So will you join with me as we do that just repeat after me dear jesus thank you for going to the cross for taking my sins and my shame and replacing it with grace because of your sacrifice i now stand free and whole and in relationship with god Help me to learn what it is to live with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, somebody saw your hand and beautiful Robin who invited, uh, introduced me um, will, is going to be available at the end of that service to just connect with you and encourage you and maybe help you get started in that relationship with God. But just if it's okay, just one more prayer. Is that okay? Yeah. So just if we just keep our um, eyes closed and our heads bowed there's nothing spiritual about that it's just really to (laughs) steal our hearts and minds if you're going through a tough season and you need encouragement from Jesus you need to know the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life you need to be reminded of God's truth and his promise If you just want to raise your hand, I will see that and then you can put it back down. But I want to pray over you. I want to pray a word of encouragement and hope and healing over your circumstance. If you're going through a time where you are confused by what's going on, perhaps it's in a relationship, perhaps financially. Thank you so much. Thank you. It takes courage to be vulnerable. I know that but it's really just making a decision in our hearts, putting an intention towards being honest about the fact that we need God's help. You don't have to do it all on your own. He wants to be part of this challenge with you. So for each of those people that raised your hand right now, let me just pray over you. Heavenly Father, you see each life, you see each heart. God, you know their needs, you know their fears and their concerns and their anxieties. I pray right now the supernatural peace of God would flood their hearts, the peace that surpasses human wisdom and understanding, that it would guard their hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that they would know, as, as the writer to Ephesians says, the depth, the height, the breadth, the width of God's love, the exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine desires for us to live in freedom and wholeness through you, God, I speak words of hope and healing. I pray that there will be a community of people that will gather around each of these people, that there would be practical needs met, that there would be emotional needs met, that there would be words of encouragement and hope and healing released over this family. And I just pray a blessing over every person here, the families they represent, the community they influence. God, may they know you more and more with every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.